Welcome back to Rethinking Politics. Today's episode, episode 10, which we're excited about, to reach number 10 feels like a big a big stepping stone for some reason, even though <laughs> even though that many of the best podcasts out there, many of the famous ones are on episode post 1000, like if you're looking at the Joe Rogan show or uh, in the hundreds for some of the others. Uh, but we're glad to be here still, still thinking, still trying to rethink politics, still trying to help people and um, look at politics from different perspectives and in ways that are going to be more beneficial than the standard ways that people discuss those things and, and spend their time on them. And as such, we're going to be looking at the Democratic National Convention. We're going to be discussing it in ways that are going to be different from what you usually hear, because in a lot of ways, this is about the Democratic National Convention is about the upcoming presidential election. As such, it's inherently partisan in ways that we are not going to focus on here. We've, we've talked about partisanship a lot in other places. I was places. about to say, we've made our position on partisanship pretty clear <laughs> over the past few episodes. We, we, we are not in favor of the Democrats or the Republicans coming into this election. We do not have a candidate on our, on our hit list or a candidate on our, on our side. So, so hopefully that will add a little bit of, of flavor and perspective that you may not get from a lot of the, a lot of the, the commentators who really do have someone in their corner. And, and so for us, you know, we're just coming as a couple of cynics who are very interested in what happens to the country and also interested in this process that is so fundamental to such a, a large portion of how the government works. Right. So if you're looking for a headline here of what our podcast is about, it's not the Democrats lie about all kinds of things, nor is it, nor is it on the opposite spectrum of like Biden prepared to take the place of the evil Trump or you go look at the headlines of this thing. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy there. They're all, every headlines clickbait about the Democratic yeah, no kidding. Convention. No kidding. So what we want to do is we want to inform you about the purpose of such conventions discuss, you know, what, what is the point of having this? Uh, I don't know how many hours went into putting this thing together. But it must be must be crazy high. Oh, with tons absolutely. of people, right? Tons of people with a lot of influence that could be doing other things with their time. Um, and we want to talk about the issues they discussed, some of the speakers, uh, uh, how effective we thought it was in terms of messaging and in terms of of achieving the goals that such conventions are for. And then at the end, we're going to get into some critique, and we're going to critique uh, uh, the process and what they're reaching for and some of the ideas. But but that's going to be later. And the bulk of this is meant to be. Something that helps you think more clearly about these conventions and see what they're about and, and the role they're playing in the political process. And to give you information, and for those of you who didn't watch it and don't want to watch it, this is going to be much more useful than the things you're going to get from your average hit piece or propaganda piece. So the first thing we want to talk about is what the goals of these conventions are. You know, you know, last week we had the Democratic National Convention. This week we're going to have the Republican National Convention. And clearly they're a big deal. They're both supposed to be, you know, four day, you know, four day events, which is a long time for a political event. I mean, the DNC, you know, between the different days was over 10 hours of content. And, and asking people to watch 10 hours of content is a serious commitment. So, so we need to understand what the goals are of a convention like this. Cause I think a lot of people don't fully grasp that. Yeah. And the 10 hours of content you mentioned, it only covers the like, primetime stuff that's shown and presented, not even the the convention processes where 
where they get together and they establish rules and votes and procedures and they go through this parliamentary form. Yeah, it's um, none of that. Those things I assume took all week. Yeah, it's just 10 hours of speeches and videos and music. No, it's a 10 hour like presentation, yeah. Presentation, absolutely. So the first the first goal of a convention and this is, you know, probably the most important is to put away all of the animosity that may have built up during the, the the primaries as these different candidates competed, you know, because you've got, you know, Democrats are not all created equal. They're, they are a very group of people just as Republicans are. And we've mentioned that before in our episodes. And those people got behind very different candidates with very different ideas. And the majority of those candidates are no longer on the ballot. You know, now we've just got this, you know, one you know, one candidate and one vice presidential candidate. And the goal of this convention is to bring all of those disparate groups back under the same umbrella, you know, to get to get Bernie Sanders and all those other candidates who didn't make it to the end to bring their followers back on, into the fold so that they can make a strong and unified front coming into this election in just a, in just a few weeks. And they they need that. If you if you get into the the debates before, right? They're they're looking for they're they're not afraid to hit below the belt when they're running when they were running before. And a lot of them have significant differences in what they want to do and what they think the problems are. I mean, in, in general things, they're on somewhat the same page, obviously. Otherwise, they couldn't come together at all. But they. Uh, some of them really do not like each other <laughs> and, and, and their fans. They're the people who support them don't like each other and they don't like each other's issues. They think that, you know, everyone has the closer you look at a party, the more you see the factions in the party and you see the disparate interests and how a lot of those interests are not just different directions or slightly different takes on the same issues. Some of them are, are actually opposed to each other. Sometimes you can't keep, you literally can't keep both people happy. And in a case of limited resources, the question of how those resources are going to be distributed is always a question of keeping, of prioritizing who, what interests you're going to meet and those kind of things. And so this is that, this is where that comes together. This is where people with their individual ideas form a coalition. Yep, exactly. And part of that is forming a contrast between them and Republicans as opposed to each other. And part of that is getting each part of their base motivated. People are worn out from the war. It's been a, it's been a struggle. It's been a battle. And there are some hard feelings and there's a lot of uh, uh, fatigue among political insiders who've been working for so long and now their goals need to change. Yeah. Yeah. And really you have to fire people. You have to fire people back up again. Because especially, especially in, in today's political climate, where everything has been has been politicized, you know, from your Facebook feed to your Twitter accounts to to the news, the news companies themselves, all the way back to, you know, to to coworkers at work, you know, friends, even family at home. Everyone's talking about politics and everyone's being abrasive and difficult about it and so <laughs> the last thing anyone wants to do is be involved in politics and so one of the main goals of this convention is to convince people and more specifically con to convince their base 
that it's time to get motivated again, and and here's why. Part of the convention is presenting which issues they're going to be focusing on, the issues that have broad appeal and that can unite the, the Democratic Party. And these issues are not discussed in detail in the convention. If you're looking for the case for systemic racism, the convention is not the place to look. No, in many ways, they're just almost reminding the base of these issues to say, here's why, here's why we need to be united. Here's why we need to take a stance against the other party. And here's why we should be remotivated to fight this fight is these issues. Yeah. And they're talking to the people who already agree with them. Yeah, they're not trying to convince anyone as they talk about it. I hear so many Republicans critiquing how they're talking about these issues. But you talk very differently with someone who agrees with you on these than you would do with people you're trying to persuade. It's a different conversation. Which is why we talked about the goals of this convention, because you may have noticed when we talked about those goals, nowhere did we mention, hey, their goal is to, you know, convince the Republicans to join their side or even to convince, you know, those voting blocs in the middle who aren't sure to join the Democratic Party. That That's not their goal. Their goal really is, in this convention, all about their base. It's all about solidifying that base in these different ways so that they're ready over these next couple of months to then go on and convince those in the middle and convince those who are in the the more important, you know, electoral states that this is the cause that they should be a part of because if your base isn't secure then doing any of that doesn't help anyone and that's never more clear than it was last election right where you could argue that the reason hillary lost was her base didn't turn out yeah that that it wasn't it wasn't that she was that trump outperformed her per se is the if you, if you analyze the election after, this is what people will say. They'll say, what happened was that Hillary was not a candidate that was able to get out everybody who should have been voting for her. And as such, this process here it's trying is to the difference that. between, right, right. It's the difference between Hillary winning and Hillary losing. And she doesn't, and you don't have to talk about, talk to Republicans to make that happen. So real quick, we'll cover just a few of the issues they talked about. You know, they talked about they talked about gun laws, uh, gun restrictions, uh, climate change, and the dangers with that. Um, the importance of protecting our public lands, um, domestic abuse, and preventing violent crimes against women. They talked about making sure universal health care is a right that everyone has. They talked about child care as a right. And as actual infrastructure that the economy needs, they talked about the need for universal preschool. They talked about the postal system, and they talked. Which, <laughs> the postal system was was an interesting one. It was. It was. Some of these they framed in really odd ways. And again, if you're an outsider looking in, it's it's going to be odd. It's going to be odd because they're not talking to you. <laughs> we got to so, comment on it. So, say so, more so, about the postal system. So, so this <laughs> one is this one. I, I hesitate to even talk about it because because it's weird. So so obviously the Democrats are going to talk about the postal system as it has become a new, I guess, a new battleground in this election is the postal system and mail-in voting. Since Trump took a stand against mail-in voting, which of course they're going to take the opposite stand. The interesting thing is that instead of focusing on 
on disenfranchisement and making sure that everyone has a chance to vote, which they do hit on. They spend any time, which is surprising, but they spend time and they actually have a video segment not just defending the post office as something we need for this election, but talking about the post office as this noble and beautiful institution that is a hallmark of America and, you know, and, and showing video clips from people who are like, yes, my my father has worked for the post office for 30 plus years. And, you know, it's been this it's been a solid, steady job, an American job. And and I'm and I'm watching this and I'm like, what is the point of this? Like, what is what am I watching? I don't understand. Why are we spending so much time defending the post office as an institution when that's really not the issue at all here? Yeah, there's a clear political issue, like you said, about about franchisement. It's about it's about. It's about being able to vote, and and which is a huge issue. Which is which is a big issue that everyone's like immediately like, yeah, okay, voting is an issue. Is there something affecting voting? I want to know about it, and, and they can pick their position on that. But no, they're like the great and noble post office, been with the historical <laughs> value, the tradition, the nobility, like <laughs> like hmm. No, I, it convinced think. me. Come November, I am going to go out, I am going to vote, and I am going to vote for the post office. You know what I mean? Like, that's how it felt. Like It was. It was, it was odd. They, it was they a, were campaigning for the post office. It was. It was. It was odd. And the, this this other one was really odd, too. Like, those other ones, the, the first ones we mentioned, make, make sense. Like, child care is a riot, even. That's a, maybe you haven't heard that one yet. That people want child care as a right. But child care is a right. You see, with COVID-19, people have to work. The kids have to stay home. Child care is a big deal. There are the teachers teaching kids at home that are just on their iPad and their parents yeah, aren't yeah. even there. Um, they can, you can see why that would become something they incorporate in here, right? The post office as an institution, <laughs> the noble institution. And then, and then the last one. Oh my goodness. The last one is uh it's curing cancer as as an issue. And and this one's funny not because cancer is in any way funny, but because the fact that this was even made into an issue because I don't think I've met a single person let alone a political candidate who has said one thing against against the need to to find a cure for cancer, against the importance <laughs> of finding cancer. I mean it's a pretty universal a universal concern, but no, they did. They did make a point, and part of the reason they did that was because of Joe Biden's history with with cancer and with and with his uh, moonshot under under President Obama as vice president. But it was just weird the way they presented it. You know, vote for Joe Biden, and he will he will cure cancer. Yeah, a significant portion of this of this presentation is uh, is a documentary style approach, you know, where they're, they're talking about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and, and to get personal history is one thing, but then they seem to integrate it in a weird way into this segment on, on cancer and how, and present it as a political issue. And that's, that's where it got weird. We're like, wait a second, Joe, we should vote for Joe Biden because of his positions on uh, climate change, gun laws, and he's going to cure cancer. Like, wait, just in case you were wondering, like, the, like about time, about time we had a presidential candidate who was going to cure cancer. I'm ready. 
So jokes aside, the three main issues that they hit over and over and over again, and the three really core issues that they kind of built their presentations around and that almost everyone hit was systemic racism, COVID-19, and the struggling economy. And all three of these issues are, are interesting because they are they are very specific to right now. You know, these are not long-term issues. I mean, in many ways, the, the racism and the need to prop up, you know, and, and, and support the economy are, are long-term issues. But in many ways, I mean, especially now, what's happening now is what they're talking about. They're talking about the things that have happened just this year as, as the main reason that we should vote for Joe Biden. Which was interesting, and I think part of the reason that they did that is because they're trying to build this into a movement. And and that's part of why I think they push the systemic racism is that they're trying to pull on some of the uh, the momentum that you have with with civil rights and and then now with with this resurgence with Black Lives Matter and turning it into a movement that everyone can get behind. Which segues into into the next thing we want to talk about, which is some of the general themes and principles that they wanted to focus on in this convention. And the first one is this idea of we the people. That they wanted to focus on the fact that it's it's Americans that they're for, and it's everyone that that, that they're for, that that they really are a movement of the people who are trying to take back the White House for the people, not for democratic political leaders, not for any of the other things, but for the people themselves. Yeah, not for big businesses or big, anything anything large scale. It's to bring – It's a, and we say we the people because that's the phrase they chose and they would use it over and over again. You know, It's the phrase in the, in the preamble of the Constitution, um, we the people. And they would – Every issue they would put in the context of the average person, like just the ordinary people, right? Not political mm-hmm. insiders, as Brad said, not anybody with any power, not a, not state governments or what, any other group, just normal people just in their everyday lives. And underneath that idea of we the people was a, a claim to virtue, I think, that, uh, that they tried to use to distinguish themselves from other political groups. They're arguing that they're the people who care. They're the party who cares. Mm-hmm. They're the yeah, people the party who, are going who cares. In one of the, just one example of, of how they did this was day two during the nomination. So usually this convention, part of this convention is a formal, somewhat of a formality. And the formality in this case, it depends on how the delegates are distributed in mm-hmm. the election running up to this convention. But in this case, it was a formality and they get the last two people and they had uh, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, and they had somebody nominate each of them in this parliamentary form and give speeches about each of these candidates before a vote from the delegates that then settled who is officially the nominee. Now, we already knew officially the nominee was, was yeah, Biden. So it, which, it, was, it was truly a formality yeah, in this case. In this case, it was a formality. It's not always. If it were really close, then then strange things could happen in this convention. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez gives the nomination, makes the nomination, and gives the speech about about Bernie Sanders. And then you have a nomination and a speech for Biden. And who gives this speech? Some some big political figure, I'm assuming. 
Oh, absolutely. That's what's how it always is. Somebody who's pushed their cause and who's done those things. Now, it was a woman named Jacqueline Brittany who runs an elevator in one of the buildings that Biden is in regularly. And they talk. Now, those people, I assume this is an apartment complex or maybe, maybe even at the, at the, the congressional offices. And he regularly takes the elevator that she's in running and pushing the buttons. Um, in the kind of places that I'll never live. And <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> and, uh, um, and they chat and they become friends. And so he asked her, or maybe she asked, I don't know how it was arranged, but she gives, she nominates him and gives a speech and just an ordinary person. And that was part of this ongoing presentation throughout where they would show, they would show Biden doing talking to ordinary people. They would, for example, with, with racism, they would have a bunch of uh, black people on different screens from their own homes, ordinary people. And Biden would ask them about gun violence in their communities. And they would talk about it for healthcare. He would, it would show Biden sitting in a chair again, just these screens on a wall because of COVID-19. Nobody's actually there in person. And Biden would talk to them and he would ask them how they're doing. How's their healthcare? Is their insurance covering things? And, and they would do this with each issue where they would just have ordinary people often talking to Biden about these issues. And he would ask them and he would just sit there and listen. And the point being that they are empathetic, that they can relate to these people and that they can encourage them. And again, this was shown through the documentary and different families that it showed, you know, Biden's family and Kamala Harris's family and, and how people feel about them and the connections, the personal connections they make with strangers and that they follow up on later. And those kind of things, building, building an image of their character specifically focused on empathy. Mm-hmm. No, and, and they and they did hit it hard. You know, they hit they hit a few other few other ideas. You know, like unity and the need for bipartisanship. They they hit on on the the need for for equity in America. You know, they 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 did bash on Trump, and and then of course they hit on the significance of this election, which is something as we've talked about before. Oh yeah, that love that, that they. <laughs> that they that everyone hits on every election but after after watching you know the DNC I am convinced that this election truly is about the heart and soul of America yeah I thought the last any one election was. before I thought, yeah, the, I last thought the last one was, one was but apparently but... it's actually this one yeah not the next one either it's this specific one yeah yeah for now so. at least. We'll see next time. <laughs> when next time comes, I have this sinking, this this little suspicion, right, that that next time may actually be even more important somehow. But uh, we we jest, obviously. The, the, go back to our episode on partisanship. Everybody uses this kind of rhetoric every election because if you if you said otherwise, if you said this has got to be the fourth most important election of all time, that's not helping your cause. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or if you said, you know what? This is an election just like any other election, and we may win it and we may lose it. And either way, you know, the government will keep on keep on rolling, the country will keep on rolling, and and you know, and and we'll we'll try again in four years. If they said that, you know, there's there's no way they're turning out the vote that they need to win the election. And and like we said before, if you go back to the purposes of purposes of this convention it becomes clear why you would hit that issue because their purpose is to to reignite their their fan base really and 
And part of that is pushing the significance of this election. Right. And so with every word they're saying, with every speech, they're saying vote. Yeah. And that was and that really was one of the strong themes as part of that significance is go out and vote, exercise your right to vote, make a plan to vote. And then they even had resources, which I thought was was wise on giving people ways to vote, you know, text this number to get more information on how to vote and we'll help you come up with a plan. So overall impressions from this convention, Dan. I I'm I'm not going to lie. Conventions we appreciate are the worst. That. <laughs> conventions. I don't know if I can overstate my hate for political events like conventions. I they leave a bad taste in my mouth. The show, the the oh let me the See, absolute I'll, I'll worst part is this. That every line you have to clap. Right? That the I cannot I cannot watch speeches without the clapping being edited. It drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. The worst is the State of the Unions, probably, right? Where you get get literally one line. One, one line and then it's clapping. It's like 10 seconds of speaking to... Yeah, it's, it's bad. It's bad. And they didn't have that here. Because it's online. There's no live audience. And that may have been the best thing that has that ever happened, happened to conventions. could have happened to a convention, yeah. Is to get the live audience out of there. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree with you completely. I agree with you that getting rid of the live audience, being able to have a more multimedia presentation and the seamless way they integrated it changed the entire flow of this convention. It did. They've got bands performing songs between. Now to do that on a live stage, you either have to be <laughs> just the, the production effects of doing that on a live stage is, is very difficult to switch seamlessly between speakers and groups and and then and then videos. It just doesn't work well on a live stage. This this worked really, really well. No, and, and another example of that, you know, Dan earlier talking about when they're trying to be empathetic, they would have Joe Biden talking to four or five people on screens. And just kind of having a, a, you know, a fireside chat with them. That wouldn't work very well on a live (laughs) convention. You know, you could have those five people sit in chairs and, and Joe Biden would be like, you know, we're glad you're here. And then the audience would go crazy (laughs) and they wouldn't even be able to say anything. Or they'd say one thing, you know, like, oh man, you know, I'm. I'm I'm a father and I'm struggling to provide for my children. And the audience would go, you know, oh no. And then, you know, it's just it just changes the the whole dynamic. Instead, it you does. can have you can have this convention where they have they have a you know a a musical number and then they segue into a speech and then they segue into a couple of videos and and then they segue into a speech without any interaction from the audience, which you'd think would make it boring, but it actually just made it smooth and they were able to convey more ideas more effectively because of it for sure for sure this was this was bar none the best convention i've seen ever and perhaps perhaps the best political event event yeah i've seen ever and and that's not not a partisan measure at all i'm just saying that the it just worked the pr- the production was good there were the fact that it was online creates some technological challenges right some some uh 
timing challenges and things. There were, there were a couple moments I can think of off the top of my head where somebody was supposed to be speaking and they didn't realize the camera was rolling. Right. So there's a few seconds where they <laughs> figure out, Oh, I'm already live and then mm-hmm. they speak or uh, uh, music that didn't cue quite right. Camera changes that didn't happen. Um, but they were very few. If you've seen political events since COVID-19 started, they're riddled with those things. Yeah. This yeah one virtual was, events have struggled in the past <laughs> months. They really have. None of the, none of the issues, none of the technological issues here uh, were, were, really broke the the flow at all. They were minor at best and they didn't distract from things. And so that was that also was helpful. And I hope that that not just the RNC next, you know, this week, but also, you know, a political organizers going forward take a look at this convention and learn a few things and say, even when we can have a live event, maybe there are some principles and ideas we can take from this and use again because because it was fundamentally different. Not because of the things they were saying, but literally because of how they were saying them. And, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. as as someone, you know, as you know, as as someone whose whose frustration with politics often comes down to the fact that we talk about empty rhetoric over and over again and, and don't say anything, and you have these speeches that are that are a line of rhetoric followed by, you know, clapping and then another line followed yeah. by clapping where nothing is being said having a political political convention where where candidates actually have the time to say the things they want to say was fantastic and that's something i definitely want to see more of yeah every single speech i've watched from a president every every presidential address with the clapping in between each line i i'm just baffled that the president doesn't ask them to stop <laughs> like i can't i i can't fathom why that's allowed to happen and why well, yeah, that it's, continues it's to happen. It's just a tradition. It is just tradition. And especially when you see the videos of the people actually doing it, often they don't want to be there for obvious reasons. Why would you want to be there standing and clapping over and over again? <laughs> like, like, like my favorite's the people who are like taking the, 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 what's the word where you, where you test to see whether someone's pure, the purity tests where they're like watching their own politicians to see how much they're supporting the president. Like, look at that disrespect. He's not even smiling. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where they'll, where, they'll, where they'll pan, you know, to, to, the, to yeah. the family members of the president and then, you know, these other political figures. And, ooh, are they clapping? Ooh. This how much do they care? Clapping. That's a headline. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that kills me. That kills me. It's a waste of time. The clapping's a waste of time. The articles about the clapping are a waste of time. And, and the worst part is, in terms of ideas, is as you were saying, you can't develop a complicated thought in a single sentence. It takes time. If you want to talk about complicated issues and you're being interrupted every 10 seconds, it's not effective. It's, it's not an effective use of time and it's extremely difficult to develop complicated ideas. The kind of things, the kind of solutions that we need to be discussing cannot be conveyed in such a format. You can't put together a decent plan and convey it like that. And you can't analyze something and convey it like that. It's just, it's just less effective for communication. And I think that's, that's like you said, if I hope everybody takes things from this and says, wait, this is working. This works well. This is much clearer communication. This is much, a much better flow. This is going to actually convey what we want to say. And whether you agree with what they want to say or not is another issue, but 
No, just absolutely. The, as a communication principle, this was good. This was really, really good. No, and I think the strongest argument for that is how they were able to use this format to connect to their voting blocks, to, to, to connect to the people that make up their base. And Dan talked about this earlier, but I want to hit on it again real quick, is, is that they spent a lot of time in this convention having videos about regular people, videos from regular people, you know, regular people talking and and talking you know in their own homes at their workplace you know going going to to you know to the hospital to the business to their home to connect with them on a more personal level which doesn't come across when you just invite that person to speak at the convention and no. they were able to spend so much time focusing on these people without it getting old really fast because of because of that multimedia format which worked really well it did it did and it's different from normal convention a normal convention what you're going to do is you're going to invite a speaker who represents that group you're going to say i want to we want to get we want to reach out to our the lgbtq voting block so what we're going to do is we're going to get speakers from people that they would know who are part of that group to come and present uh, to come and give a speech. And that's how they they incorporate it. Mm-hmm. This, where they actually go and they talk to people. Uh, they talk to, uh, I mentioned black people earlier, uh, they talk to medical professionals dealing with COVID-19. And and let them speak. Let them speak in ways that, that most news stations never allow in terms of like, <laughs> in terms of interviews, you know. It, it wasn't an argument. It wasn't, uh, it didn't feel forced. Like you mm-hmm. said, if they yeah. had put them on a stage, it would have. Yeah, it felt would have more tense. organic. Mm-hmm. Um, the uninsured and the sick, soldiers, uh, military people who support Biden. Um, they talked to lifelong Republicans, people who were Republicans and have voted Republican in every single election up till this one and are now going to vote for Biden. That one I thought was particularly effective. They, they got this group. They let them express why. They let them say why they were Republicans. Mm-hmm. And talk Republican principles a little bit and then say, but here and here's why they're talking to immigrants um, about their legal status and about uh, about the issues they're facing. And they talked a lot to religious people. This one was specifically interesting, I think, because in a lot of ways, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are starting to divide more on religion. Yeah, and it's supposed to be science versus religion with the two parties. Right, is is often how it's framed. Um, Joe Biden is very religious. That was an important part of, of why he feels like he does what he does, an important part of his of his personal life. And so that got put in there and, and mentioned heavily, which I thought was really, really interesting. Yeah, which was, I thought was surprising. I was surprised that they, that they pushed that as much as they did. Yeah, I, I would have thought they would have minimized it. So the other thing they did really well is is the speeches. The speeches, there were some fantastic speeches. There were some speeches that fell flat, and then there were some speeches that were just normal convention speeches. But then there were also some speeches that were excellent. The normal the, the, sorry, the normal convention speeches were terrible. There were a few where people tried to act like they would in a normal convention. It yeah, was with it was the rare. Audience. And they would try and like like you could feel that they were missing the clapping and that, they, <laughs> and that they were looking for it. But luckily there were very few of them because that would have ruined it. If they would have just done a normal convention speech, 
in this format, it would have failed. And the few mm-hmm. that tried were, were the, definitely the flattest of the speeches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The first speech we want to talk about is Bernie Sanders, because Bernie Sanders, his speech matters. What he says in this convention matters. Because he represents an enormous group of people who may or may not vote for Biden. They're a part of the Democratic broad base, per se. Hopefully, for the Democrats. <laughs> they need, that's the Demo- I guess that's, that remains to be determined, right? The Democrats are hoping with this convention of all of the groups they could, they could incorporate through their efforts from this convention to the election, the group that Bernie Sanders represents may be the most important one. They got screwed over last election. And in the last convention with Hillary, they got thrown under the bus and they knew it mm-hmm. and they were not happy about it. Mm-hmm. And that may and that may have played a significant role in that election in the Democrats overall effectiveness. Right. It's one factor that could have been the deciding factor right? that if they'd done that differently, that might have changed the election by itself. So Bernie Sanders introduced by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, as I mentioned, gets up and gives a speech. Now, Bernie Sanders is also different from the normal politicians, right? He's an idealist. He has clear principles that he thinks and he believes them absolutely vehemently and uh, and more power to him for that. I, I appreciate people who actually think what they're saying mm-hmm. and say what they think. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's better for the country, regardless of whether you think their ideas are good or bad, because it allows their ideas to be contended with and actually faced and and refined and improved or rejected. Bernie gets up there and he gives what I thought was a a really, really good speech. So many people get, so many people never actually agree with the candidate that they endorse, Mm -hmm. right? They, 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 they're challenged early on. If you are not elected, if you are not selected as the candidate, will you endorse the democratic candidate? And the right answer to that is maybe, right? (laughs) The principled answer to that is maybe. It depends on what they think. But everybody tries to demand an absolute loyalty to the party for the greater good. Yeah, yeah. Bernie Sanders seems to be the kind of person who would say, no, get lost. (laughs) And and so far, he's endorsed all the candidates. but, uh, but But he explains why. And he says, look, we are making... And he speaks specifically. He specifically addresses his supporters. He says to all the people who've, who've helped and campaigned for me and voted for me in the past, look, our ideas are becoming mainstream. Translation, we're winning the long battle. Mm-hmm. And he's right. They are winning the long battle in the, in the Democratic Party. They're, the party much more reflects them than it does the people they were arguing against over the years. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the past four years. towards them. Bernie Sanders and his ideas have taken a strong hold on the political party to the point that a lot of people were surprised that it wasn't Bernie Sanders who was, who was, you know, the candidate going into this election. Right, right. And it's crazy that some, some people who strongly dislike him don't realize they've accepted a lot of his ideas that his, that he's brought so much to the party. Things like equity, equity was a word used all the time. Equity as in equality of outcome not just equality of opportunity, was something often repeated in this. People would talk about equality, equity, and fairness was how (laughs) one person presented it. Um, It was the three words they used. 
right? That's, that's from Bernie Sanders and his group. So he says, we're winning the long battle. They're adopting our ideas. And Biden has specific things that we want that he's going to do. And he listed them. He listed them. And they, they were very clear. They're not like general ideas. Uh, one of them was a $15 minimum wage. We're going to increase the minimum wage to $15. And he listed a couple others. Yeah, like a 100% clean electricity in the next 15 mm-hmm. years, paid family leave, unions, uh, child care was a big one, universal preschool and affordable child care. Yeah, these are issues specifically from his base. Compromises he has got from the broader pro- group because in this coalition process, right, he represents a powerful big faction that may or may not vote for them. That give, that gives him a real say, and he's used that to get issues that his group wants. And it and I dare say they're going to happen if if Biden gets elected. Mm-hmm. I th- I don't think he's up in the night. I don't think these have been false promises to him, and I don't think he's leading his group on. And that to present it that way, I think, is compelling to the people who support him. People who like Bernie Sanders, I think, will look at that speech and they will say, look, he was real with us. He recognizes that this is a compromise, but it's a compromise that leads to us winning more in the long run and leads to specific changes that are going to be better. We can get a lot of the things we want through this process. And that, I think, I think that will sell. I think his group, anyone who looks at that speech, anyone who looks to Bernie Sanders for leadership will vote Democrat. And that's a big deal. Absolutely. I want to talk about two more speeches, and they're the two speeches that you would think are the most important speeches in this convention, and that's Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. Actually not. These speeches, while great speeches, were not important, and here's why. They actually set up this convention in such a way that typically with a convention – you're always building up to the candidate's speech. You know, and the candidate's speech is the moment, is is yeah. everything. It's all about their speech and and what they have to say. With this convention and with the multimedia format, as Dan said earlier, in many ways, it was a documentary about Joe Biden and about Kamala Harris. And because of that, they were able to sorry, I think I mispronounced the uh, it's Kamala. Kamala Harris. It's her name, for some reason, gets me every time. But, but I didn't even notice that you pronounced it differently in those two times, so I'm well, probably saying it wrong. There's like four four ways to pronounce her name, and obviously only one of those is right. It's, it's Kamala. <laughs> which A you emphasize? It's, it's Kamala. <laughs> Kamala. Anyways, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, they, they set it up that it was a documentary, really, in many ways. You know, they had videos with, with their families, talking about their family life. They had talking about their history, their past, you know, the, their, their stories entering political office and their, and their rise to this moment to the point that we would have been okay without their speeches. Which I think was really clever because it took some of that pressure away from them and distilled it throughout this whole event. And it worked really well. It did. If you watched all four days, I agree with you completely that you would not have felt an absence if they did not speak more than to get up and say thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it would have worked. It would have worked. Now, they did do some things that were affected. You know, uh, Kamala, she is a very fierce person. You know, she is strong. She's formidable. 
And that is kind of a counterpart to Joe Biden. Joe Biden, as you said, and especially in this election, they are pushing the empathy. They are pushing the party that cares. And so they had to reconcile that with Kamala. And they did a good job. And they did a good job. Number one, in her speech, she she did a very good job of connecting with her audience, of of smiling even is such a simple thing, but she of coming across her face off. It was, <laughs> but coming across as across as someone who who does care, and they did that effectively. Which once again, like I said before, does kind of fly in the face of her track record. Really, yeah, yeah. She's a devastating prosecutor. Like she, she's the kind of person you don't want on the at the other end of you in the courtroom. Yeah, prosecutors she's... are not known for being empathetic. <laughs> right, that is that right. is not their job description. It's not usually what you associate with them. And in in the debates, she was the one who took down Biden and who put Biden in that position where for mm-hmm. a long time, no one thought he had a, had the slightest chance of becoming the nominee. And it was because she very tactically and brilliantly, and I guess it was an appeal to empathy the way she did it. She referred to her her childhood little girl self being robbed because of the things that he did and this like but it was so brilliant like it was just devastating Mm -hmm. and and biden had no comeback and now now she's all she's all smiles right she's all peace and 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 biden's a great guy and and it's no it's it's what this convention is for really it's reframing that and then you have biden's speech and 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 honestly, I don't have much to say about Biden's speech because, as I said, you know, this whole presentation was about Biden. And so really all he had to do for this speech was not screw it up. And he didn't. He delivered a calm, reasonable, effective speech that was well written. He delivered it well. And it did not detract from everything else. Yeah. I really liked his his high rhetoric because with the way the the four days built up to it where he's talking about light versus darkness. Now, a lot of people have made fun of it and, and perhaps rightfully so it is, it is usually you don't put yourself in those kind of terms, Mm -hmm. but if you watch the four days and you watch the clips about his religious ideas and things, um, it fit with the narrative really well. And it, and it seemed it It did. So the last person we want to get to, uh, before we get to some of the takeaways and critiques from this convention, the last speech we want to talk about is Barack Obama. So Barack Obama, who actually delivered is old news. So Barack Obama is old news. He is. <laughs> it's it's right. If you're wondering why we're talking about a former president here, it, because uh, it, usually former presidents just more or less disappear. And and no, what they and say is not that and not and Barack Obama was not the only former president to speak. You know, they had they had the Clintons speak. You know, the Carters yeah. speak and. And, and that did have weight, but it had weight in the sense of, okay, yes, you know, the, the, the previous Democratic presidents support him. You know, he's, he's following in this line of Democratic presidents. And that's kind of what you'd expect from Barack Obama is, you know, I know Joe Biden. He worked for me and he was good. And in that <laughs> speech, Barack Obama did say that. But the other things he said is what was so interesting. This speech was actually the best speech of the convention, hands Bar down. None. Mm-hmm. And and if you didn't listen to any of the convention and you're like, oh, maybe I should listen to some, just listen to Barack Obama's right. speech. Right. In terms of the quality of the content, like if you wanna if you wanna say what matters and what's gonna change people's minds and things, I think I think uh 
that Bernie Sanders' speech is going to may have more of a direct political impact. But in terms of just like the quality of the content and the the ideas and the clarity, Obama's speech was was truly something else. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, there were there were passages where he builds he builds a he paints a picture and he builds an argument as we said that couldn't be built in a normal convention format or in a normal you know state of the union format and and I've listened to Obama's speeches before you know especially the the big ones as he was running for office the two times and you know his state of the unions his inaugural addresses and there was and you can see where a lot of his you know a lot of his his rhetoric his way of speaking is all there but there was something more in this speech that I didn't feel before and I didn't hear before that really came through in this speech. And it, and it was, and it was fantastic. It was, it was an amazing speech. And, and I resonated with a lot of the things that he said, even though obviously, even though obviously I don't agree, you know, I don't agree with, with Barack Obama. I don't agree with Joe Biden. I don't agree with most of the the candidates who are running. Right. (laughs) But, but even still, I, I resonated with what he was yeah, saying. That speech ended with me. I, I think I could sit down and have a political conversation with Barack Obama. And I I never felt that way about him before, right? Like I felt like uh-huh. feel like yeah. he was you know, so many times presidents are just it's just talking points, it's just empty rhetoric and things. But uh but no, this he he had a, he had things that he clearly believed and he argued in some cases even passionately for them. And that's something that we're always happy to see is people who believe things and stand <laughs> up for think them. think things and say those because things. It's, it's, it's amazing. Because, because that's something that you don't see that, that often in politics. In, in politics. Which, which, brings us, which brings us to the takeaways. And the first takeaway is, is we want to we give each of you a, a, a shot of, of cynicism because <laughs> – because rhetoric aside and and their overall skills and production quality from this convention and then we'll see from the next convention all of that aside we need to remember what this is all about and what this is all about is who is going to be in charge of you know arguably the most powerful country in the world and there's a very strong argument for that <laughs> military um, is pretty compelling yeah and who gets to control trillions of dollars and who gets to control the most powerful military, who has the power to veto Congress, you know, who has who, who is in charge of the executive branch, which has incredible power and controls a large amount of money in and of itself. That's what we're talking about. You know what I mean? We're not just talking about about the people and we're not talking about ideas. We're talking about real power and we're talking about the power you know what i mean people always say being the the leader of the free world that's the president of the united states and so that that that's what we're talking about that's what the democrats want and that's what they're fighting for here and so it makes sense that they would put together such an effective convention because why wouldn't you go all in if this is what you're fighting for right this this 10 hour presentation that we're we've been praising is highly effective 
whatever investment required to make this good is a drop in the bucket when you're talking about this level of power and money mm -hmm. and and things. This is you can you can say that politics is about more than the money and power. And I hope for the people involved it is. I hope for Biden and company that it is. But it's also at least about, about those money things. and power. It can't mm -hmm. be it can't be less than that. Yeah. And so those those things must always incur a bit of cynicism. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. You would be you would be naive to think that that doesn't matter and that doesn't play a role. And and it's something that politicians almost never talk about. You know what I mean? Because because obviously that doesn't sound good. Right. If they're you, aware you of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's like as Dan's saying, even if they believe in more than that, they also want those things, but they can never come out and say that because they'll be they'll be tarred and feathered because we have this idea of where we have to pretend we have to only talk about the high rhetoric. You know, we can never talk about about the nitty gritty about what we're actually looking at, about what this actually means, not just for us, but for them. Which brings us to the second thought we want to add to this discussion. Bipartisanship, the, they talk a lot in there about like, we got to unite, we got to cross aisles, we got to do all this stuff. We the people, we represent you. Um, you can say, <laughs> you could, I can't, I feel like to say it just straight up is just too cliche, right? People can say what they want. People can say things and not mean them. And that, that doesn't need to be stated. But you don't realize, most people don't realize what goes into this process in politics at the highest level. You'll get people who, and we, and we may have talked about this a little bit in our partisanship episode, but if I'm running for president, I need to know before I say something whether or not it's going to be effective. And so what they do is they'll spend millions of dollars bringing in the groups they want, people from the groups they want to talk to. They want to talk to uh, blacks about racism. What they're going to do is they're going to bring in a random sample of, of black people. They're going to pay them for their time, of course, and, and run a little study, run a little focus group where they then say things to them and see what effect it has, see what works and see what doesn't. And they test phrases. Yeah. And you don't see that when you see Joe Biden get up and say, you know what? I'm just a man. I'm just part of the people. And, and I know that, you know, I know that 9-11 was bad and America was good, you know, and I'm not saying just Joe Biden, I'm just saying politicians in general, you know, that's kind of the vibe. Right, right. But they don't, they didn't, he didn't just come up with that as he was sitting in home trying to think of what, what to write. That's not the process as Dan's explaining. No, it's not even just a speech writer who is told by Joe Biden, yeah. here's what I want to talk about. And then he comes up with a speech or she comes up with a speech. No, you got to go much farther yeah, back layers and, layers. And, and you have to look at people who are like, here are the words and phrases that are effective. People are sick of partisanship. So we're going to talk about unity we're going to talk about the people and about bringing people together. And we're going to say catchphrases that resonate with people along those lines. And, and we know these catchphrases because we had 20 that would work, but this one is the most effective of but the 20. But these five are the ones that really hit yeah. these seven different key groups that we looked at. So me and Dan sat through a couple of cynics and watched the entire Democratic National Convention which 
I've never done before. I've never watched either convention all the way through. I would just, right. you know, get, get bits speeches. and pieces, you know, usually just the big speeches. And so it was interesting watching the entire thing because I could see the overall structure, the overall planning. And and we're talking about how well it was done because in this case, as, as well as the other cases, in terms of focus testing, in terms of catchphrases, in terms of buzzwords, they put in the work. You know, those those focus testings and, and studies paid off because you can see where from start to finish, if you watch this entire thing, regardless of where you were at the beginning, you are going to feel more favorably about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. It's just it's just going to happen that you know, I have my political opinions and I have very strong opinions about principles and policies and what the president should be doing. All of that aside, I there's more warmth in my heart towards Joe Biden now than there was before. Is that going to change the way I'm going to vote this November? No, but I'm also I'm also like I said very different and very stubborn and and cynical. So so take that aside, you can see how effective this is and yeah. how effective that is, but you have to remember that just because they're using these words doesn't really affect their policies at all in almost any way. No, and as we pointed out, they they're not making the case for issues here. They're they're discussing what they're doing is they're presenting a feeling and an emotion and a and a virtue and a culture and you know it's a, it's an empathy driven culture about caring about people and acting to uh, for the little guy and and reaching out to people and and strengthen each other in hard times and you get this you get this cultural vibe right this this cultural message and i agree with you Brad that it, it's it's persuasive in its sphere and you have to recognize that that sphere does not extend to issues and those those issues if this persuades you, then you probably didn't have a strong opinion on the issues going in. <laughs> like, or or in the process, you've forgotten about those issues, which is, which is pretty easy to do when you're looking at something that's so carefully crafted like this is. I'd say one, one follow-up talking about this, about, about words and ideas. You know, we talked last week about about inflation and some of the relief aid. And in many ways, the relief aid is like one of these conventions, you know, where it's all good and no bad. And and if this is all you look at, of course, of course, you're going to vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, you know, Kamala Harris. There's why would you not, you know, and and that's how that's how that's how, you know, they did their job correctly. You know what I mean? They have painted a picture and just by watching the picture, it's hard not to be convinced. And it's yeah. just like it's just like the inflation where it's like we are going, you're going to be better off, we're going to be better off, everyone's going to be better off. And it's a very common line that parties will tell, but just because they say it doesn't mean it's so. Just because, you know, we seem better off doesn't mean we are like we talked about with the inflation. And we need to remember that. We need to see past the illusion and see the reality underneath. We are going to be covering this election as much as we can possibly stomach as <laughs> as as we go throughout the rest of this year. Which and to be fair, thanks to COVID-19, maybe more than we thought because 
the presentations are getting better. Are getting better. And hopefully we'll see more of that throughout the selection and and we can keep down more of what we're eating. And so we're going to have more specials. You know, like I said, next week we are going to cover, you know, the Republican convention and we will try and get that out to you guys as quickly as possible. And we're going to cover some of the debates and some of the speeches to try and provide a, a slightly different voice on on this issue because because there is so much mud and there is so much obfuscation. And I use that word because most people don't know that word, and that's the point. Obfuscation <laughs> means to confuse, to to muddy up an idea or something that you're saying, and that's exactly what's happening here. And that's why I like the word is because it, it, it defines itself. <laughs> and that's what's happening. That's what this election is, is, is it really is smoke and mirrors on both sides. And we want to look at those mirrors and look at that smoke and look at what's going on so that we can all see just a little bit more clearly. One of the ways we're going to do that is we're going to be following up with the things that are said. So often politics is disconnected from the rhetoric and the actions that actually happen. You can, you can go and you can look at records. There are bills, there are records, there are votes, there are uh, policies that are implemented, there are things that are done that, that are done in the name of these rhetorical points that these people have made. And if you follow up with those, you may find a very different vision of the people than what's being presented. And if you don't follow up with those, you'll never really know these people. Mm -hmm. You're never going to... The surest way to tell what someone is like is to see what they do, not what they say. And everybody knows that. But it, it seems worth noting again here because it happens so rarely in politics. Because in part because of the partisanship. They just blame the other party. If I, if it goes well, it's my, it's because I did it. If it goes poorly, it's because the other party got in the way, right? They've got an easy out for everything that goes wrong and they're never held mm -hmm. accountable. And that's, and they should be and they can be. And in many ways, politics then does come down to this is what I say versus this is what you say. And let's say, see who is saying the better thing. And that's the person who will win. And I mean, that's the thing looking at this convention is that they said things incredibly well in terms of politics, in terms of an election. That's how you win. You know <laughs> what I mean? Is, and and mm -hmm. they have come out swinging strong. But in terms of what they're doing and what that actually means. It doesn't actually change anything. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. And, we'll, and we will look further into that to say so. With that, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we, we have endured the 10 hours <laughs> on your behalf. I believe it'll be, it'll be four days of convention again. So, so we'll see whether or not they follow or if they, they have, you know, 10 second sound bites and then clapping. But either way, we're going to listen to it all. We're going to talk about it, and I'm sure there will be some interesting takeaways because there always are. Whether good or bad, there's always something to be learned and always something to be talked about. So please join us next week, and we will see you then. Till next time. 